Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Joel Prusky, BMO's OIS and cross-currency trader, to discuss the takeaways from last week's Bank of Canada decision, his views on the rates market, and of course, his favorite trade ideas. This week's episode is titled, What the Hawk? I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Joel, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be back. Uh, hopefully, hopefully next time we can do it in person again. That, that was that was my most enjoyable podcast recording. But I'm, I'm sure we'll get there soon enough. And, and you could tell us a little bit about your feelings about reopening a little bit later. But first. Uh, let, 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 let's talk about the bank. I'll just kind of more or less repeat what I put out on Tuesday in my piece that uh, uh, the rationale behind the bank holding fire last week at the uh, at the policy meeting was was uh, as much as anything just uh, for communication reasons. Uh, Governor Macklem is is not Governor Polos at all. Uh, we should think of him more in a, a traditional central banker sense. Uh, he, he's going to behave more like the Fed and more like. Jay Powell and signal, at least in the short run, what's likely coming for markets. He's not, he doesn't really want to surprise things. And, and Governor Macklin repeated it again today in his opening statement that he wants monetary policy to be, quote, a source of confidence rather than another source of uncertainty. Uh, that wasn't the case through much of 2021. Uh, and you can see that in a lot of the market volatility. And I think that they, the bank got the message on that. And then they want to uh, smooth things out to some extent and, and, and be. I don't want to say fully predictable, but but give us an idea, a good idea, at least on where things are going. Uh, Joel, what, what was your take on last week, and, and where do you see things going for the bank? Uh, well, on a personal level, I have to admit that I was kind of disappointed. Uh, I mean, I did think that with the meeting well over 70% priced, that you know the door was open for the bank to go and start the ball rolling for something that obviously they're very concerned about. I mean, their message has been very consistent, right? We're going to do stuff about this. We're concerned about inflation. Rates are going higher. So, I mean, personally, I took that bet because I felt the, the over-under was worth it. It was wrong. But, but moving on, I do have to agree with what you said. I mean, it was very clear that he wants to be a source of stability in that here's what I'm saying, here's what I'm doing. And in that regard, he absolutely, he took away the forward guidance. He made it extremely clear that rates are going up at the next meeting. And I suspect for the next few meetings after that, he even used talk about going up and then pausing and seeing how things go and then restarting again. So, you know, he seems to be the type of guy who wants the message well received. I think definitely. And, and uh, BMO's base case now is, is four consecutive hikes, uh, followed by a, a short pause. Uh, and, then, and then switching to quarterly moves, uh, I think that's perfectly reasonable. It might be three, it might be four in a row, but they're they're moving in 
at least a few times to start. I think they want to get rates at least up to 1% and then kind of see where things are going, see how housing's doing. And that's probably the one big differentiator between the Bank of Canada and, and the Fed is, is housing uh, and household debt. And and housing's just become, through the pandemic especially, such a big part of the economy, uh, such such an important part of growth through the pandemic. And, and it's such an important part of of households, balance sheets generally, and, and, and assets that uh, you, you really just can't, or they really just can't crush housing. Uh, so they need to make sure that, that when they do bring rates up, it, it has to be at a slow enough pace that the housing market can withstand it. Uh, that doesn't mean home prices won't fall maybe a little bit, but they, they have to make sure they don't uh, come under too much pressure. So, so that's one thing to keep in mind as this cycle progresses. And, and uh, I think that's maybe something the market is ignoring a little bit. We have uh, still a lot priced. We have pretty much six hikes priced into the next seven meetings. That that's pretty aggressive if you consider that that rates peaked at 175 last cycle. That pretty much puts you there. So uh, in in very short order. So I mean, the, the, I, I think we're probably appropriately priced very near term, but it, it's questionable whether the second half of the year is isn't pricing too much and, and maybe not enough in in, in 2023. Uh, what, what do you what do you think about that, Joel? Well, I mean, I mean, I agree. I, I don't. I think we're I think we're priced for the worst case scenario at the moment. And even strange, more strange to me, we're pricing uh, the fastest and steepest rate hike cycle of my career, and a policy error in all within basically about uh, eighteen months before we've even fired a single shot. And part of that is the market is too smart by half. I mean, everyone knows you open up trading for dummies. It says central bank hikes rates. You flatten the curve. I mean, that's that. This is standard stuff. I think the curve has just gotten way too ahead of itself uh, in terms of policy error. We we don't know what uh, is going to happen yet. We've already assured ourselves through the pricing that the Fed and the Bank of Canada are going to blow things up within uh, eighteen months to two years, and we're going to have a uh, terminal rate that is going to be no higher than the past when inflation at best is going back to 3%. And that ignores the fact of a massive one-time increase in prices. And I think that's where I have my big problem. Central bankers patting themselves on the back for getting inflation back down to 2 or 2.5 or 3% still ignores the fact that there was a massive one-time increase in prices that people still have to pay for. And uh, I think that's I think that's going to keep pressure on wages as well, and I think the cycle of wage demand isn't going away. So uh, I that's why I think the curves are too flat. I think there's just not enough. I think you know the bank will go slow. They'll be measured. They'll see where things are. If there's a bond conundrum, they're going to break out the QT, uh, and they will not allow uh, the curve to get too flat. And I think once we get kind of Three to six months in with three rate hikes under our belt, there has to be more slope uh, out the curve. There's just simply not enough, right? Okay, so full, fully agreed on that. There's one 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 article I read, and, and just to kind of bring it back to your your mention on inflation and, and longer term rates and uh, where, where policy is going to be and expectations for policy are. So the FT had a uh, the commentary uh, opinion piece in there, uh, and and it was a lot of it was about real rates and and where we are relative to kind of any past episode. And you bring it up, and, and obviously with inflation where it is, uh, the real policy rate is extremely negative, extremely, in the U.S. and Canada, pretty much everywhere. But, I mean, if inflation is going to stay relatively elevated, uh, if we stay in that, call it 3 to 4% range in Canada, 
probably four to five percent range in the U.S. and we get even four to six rate hikes by the end of the year, uh, you're still talking about extremely negative free rates. And so you're still being very similar. In the meantime, you have other commentators, other talking heads uh, talking about recession in the second half of the year. Uh, and then that that seems a bit far fetched when 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 real rates are going to be negative two, three, four percent talking about a recession at that point. And, and uh, in Canada, at least uh, there, there still seems to be plenty of pent up demand. And, and you've been to the U.S., so you've seen what happens when they reopen. Maybe you can give us a bit of insight on that. Sure. I mean, look, we, we all know household balance sheets are in great shape. Uh, you know, everyone's been unable to spend money. I've spent some time over Christmas in uh, California and more recently in Florida uh, visiting family. And sure, Florida is the land of the crazies, but California is the land of the conservative left. And and I can tell you that the uh, explosion of demand and people wanting to get out and be out and do things uh, was incredible to see. And I think, you know, we are probably three to four weeks behind them. I mean, we've just reopened in Ontario. Um, you know, sure, it's the dead of winter, and the dead of winter is never a great place to be here, anyways. But you know, we're six weeks away from from spring, and yeah, okay, sure. And spring in Ontario means it's plus five, not minus fifteen. It ain't great, but um, I think there's so much demand uh, out there to go out to spend money. Well, it, you know, most of the goods I think have been bought and paid for, and you know, you can't get the stuff you want anyways because of supply chain. But the service sector is about to explode. Um, people are going to travel. Uh, they're going to travel domestically. They're going to travel uh, to the U.S. They're going to go to restaurants. They're going to want to do all this stuff. It's basically been holding a beach ball underwater uh, for a long time. And I think when we're sitting here in, in, in March and then April and then May when it gets warm, you know, and people are anecdotally are going to look around and go, wow, like you can't have a recession call when you can't get a reservation at a restaurant for six weeks. You just can't. Um, you know, with household balance sheets start to change, if the Bank of Canada hits the brakes too hard. You know, if all those things happen, I mean, I think you have to reevaluate. But I mean, he's made every indication that he's going to be measured and the demand's going to stay strong. And I think, like I said, you're going to anecdotally look around and go, wow, things are good here. And this hiking cycle has the ability to last longer and go higher than what is currently priced in the market. So, what do, what do you think about pricing for uh, 2023, call it? If we have 140, 50 basis points or so for for this year there's what 25 to 50 next year not much yeah so the the beef i kind of have now is when i look at the ois curve you know i look at jan 23 meeting and you've got five rate hikes 150 points And, and you know the distribution is kind of you know the first four are basically a lock and then you know you have a lesser chance at at, uh, a few after that and then it virtually goes to almost nothing so between the next four meetings after January, you only have one hike priced in, uh, in four meetings. That distribution seems unlikely to me if you think the bank's going to kind of go three or four, pause, go a couple, pause, go a couple. And I also think terminal rate, you know, is it's probably around just over 2% now. A, I think that's low. I mean, I think given inflation, I think we have to consider that two and a half minimum is terminal rate. But it's the distribution, I think, that we need. You know, in previous hiking cycles, you never have had this amount of flatness this soon. You've never had such a steep and short slope for the hiking cycle. And I think that has to change. And I think it will change over time. I mean, part of the problem is there's always the chance that the bank could do a 50. I mean, we're not really priced for it. 
But, you know, there's an optionality there that isn't going to go away until we see the whites of his eyes. If he comes out and does 25 and talks about the need for, you know, uh, another, you know, whatever the wording he uses that makes it clear that there's 25 the next and 25 the next, I think you'll see a massaging of the bump in that um, end of 2022 push out to mid-2023. So, so my issue on the fifties, and, and I, I mean, I'm not going to rule it out, but I, uh, I think it's it's clear that they want to be pretty transparent. They want to provide a uh, message that everyone understands. They don't want to surprise the market right now, and and a fifty would surprise the market. So, uh, the fact that they didn't hike in January, and he says they want to be uh, a source of certainty, tells me fifty really isn't on the table. I think if they were to come out and warn us that things are out of control or something along those lines and they need to be more aggressive, then that changes the ball game. But he hasn't said as much. Governor Macklin hasn't really said all that much in his Senate testimony today. Uh, and so I, I just don't see how 50 is, is likely at all. I, I know that it's in the conversation partially because it's in the Fed's conversation. And if it's there, it's going to be here. Uh, but I, I think the odds of it are, are really low at the moment. Um, I mean, Less than five basis points of a fifty should be priced at any point in time. Uh, but I, but I, I think twenty five is is effectively a lock for at least the next three meetings. Yeah, and, and I mean market market pricing reflects that, right? I mean, it, you know, the, part of the problem to get a true beat on it is is you know the volatility in core, right? Which I mean, core averaged eighteen for a long time, so we kind of think, okay, let's price off eighteen, even though you know the. The overnight rate is 25. Well, then core dropped to 13 for a few days. And of course, that messes up all your calculation because, you know, what are you pricing off your base? I mean, the Bank of Canada has shown zero interest whatsoever in developing a core market. And this is another beef I've had. And, and I don't know if this is the right forum for it, but if the Bank of Canada is getting is serious about getting rid of CEDAR and they've talked about it, I mean, you know, the I listened to the car speech today, fell asleep to the car meeting today. I mean, core's going to be going uh, up in terms of usage and, and Cedar is going to be going down. And yet the Bank of Canada doesn't seem to want to do anything to make it better. Um, one of the things they could do is have a tighter uh, band around the average. But the other thing too, is we don't even know what the dates are yet for 2023. So how do you expect us to price meeting gaps? Because in Canada, that's what trades is meeting gaps when we don't even know the dates of the meetings. But that's a rant for another time, Ben. I, I like that rant. I agree. I, I have no problem with them putting out. I mean, there's there's nothing to stop them from putting out uh, some some the meeting dates further out. And my my rant a few weeks ago about about quantitative tightening and how they should uh, be selling outright selling bonds, which it doesn't seem like they're going to do. They're just going to, uh, or or it seems for now at least, just let the balance sheet uh, shrink by allowing maturities to roll off. Uh, but if they were to actually outright sell some of the issues that are super tight in repo because they own 60, 70% or 60 plus percent, and, and there's a lot of issues that they own 60 plus percent of and 50 plus percent of, 40 plus percent of, uh, and, and a lot of the uh, the scarcity of collateral is, is causing these issues with Cora. Uh, they could address that to some extent. I don't think it solves all the problems, but they could address that to some extent and maybe create a little bit more stability in Cora. Uh, if, if they would, were to come out and, and sell some of those bonds in secondary. And that would, that would help Cora, it would help swap markets, it would help Provi markets. I mean, it, I think it helps pretty much every market if they were to come out and, and uh, sell the bonds that they just, just own too much of. Their footprint is just too big in the market right now. And uh, letting it roll off will eventually work, but that's going to take an awful long time, unfortunately. So 
Uh, I think, I mean, for now we're stuck with that, but who knows? Uh, things, things could change in the second half of the year. If maybe the bank doesn't want to be overly aggressive on rates, maybe they, maybe they do start to sell uh, securities if, if, if they, they want to tighten a little bit faster. But I think that that's probably a second half story uh, more than anything. I don't think they're going to, or at least it doesn't sound like they're going to be aggressive on that at this point in time. Uh, Joel, why don't you update us on, on BA LIBOR, BA SOFR, and, and what, what's going on in, in, in your market? Uh, sure. I mean, as uh, I'm sure everyone who listens knows, uh, you know, LIBOR is gone. Um, it'll stick around for another year and then it's really gone. Um, so the underlying basis market uh, is now BA SOFR. We switched over in January, um, except for a few legacy trades uh, with a few uh, guys, you know, that's, uh, going to be the new benchmark from now on. And, uh, you know, we're really only five weeks in, so the market's kind of finding its legs. Um, what is interesting is, is you know, traditionally the BA LIBOR curve was extremely steep um, from three months out to one year and then one year out to five year, again, you know, based on flows. Um, but the, the relative steepness of the curve brought in a lot of uh, fast money players uh, because when you have, let's say, one year, uh, be elaborate, let's say minus 30 and one year, one year at minus 22, you know, um, all things being equal, if you receive the one year, one year and nothing much changes, you, you make a nice eight basis points uh, over the life of the trade. The BA silver curve is much flatter. And initially it was actually inverted, which, which of course threw a lot of guys off because, you know, when you're starting to fund your BA uh, SOFR trades and it costs you money every day, it, it, it becomes a big problem. And, and things like even forward forwards where the carry was negative. Now that's kind of changed over the last few weeks as the market tries to stabilize and find its term structure. Um, but it, the curve is a lot less flat. And, and with a curve that's a lot less flat, it means there'll be a lot less guys coming in and doing carry trades, which means a lot less bid side business which means generally a higher overall level of basis because, you know, there's, there's no way to get risk back when you sell basis. The, the traditional trades, let's say from guys like us would be, you'd, you know, receive some five years on the back of, let's say a probie issue. And, you know, you, you'd buy some two year, one year from uh, XYZ hedge fund. And, you know, that would kind of look like a two year, three year, five year butterfly risk wise. And you'd work out of that over time. But with, uh, with things like one-year uh, cross-currency versus one-year, one-year now at like two basis points, it's just simply not enough for the fast money guys to get involved. They're just not going to do it. So we're going to have a more volatile basis market, I believe, is what it's going to lead to, and, and uh, much more driven by flows, individual flows. The only place I think you'll start to see some things get disjointed is, is when outsized large flows happen in a sector uh, because I think the street will be hesitant to do any curving up. They're just not in the, they just, in generally they don't curve things up. If they sell seven years, they want to buy seven years. If they sell nine years, they want to buy nine years. The, the fact that seven year and nine year are correlated in a carry type of book is irrelevant to them. So what will happen is, you know, you'll get these localized points that will get silly and very steep relative to the other points. And, and then maybe you'll get into some uh, some fast money. We'll look at weird things that'll happen. You know, you'll be able to do things like, you know, four-year, two-year, six-year, two-year will be 
uh, you know, inverted uh, or something like that. But, but for the meanwhile, there's not a lot of to do. Um, there's been some pressure in the very long end, uh, I think, ahead of telco issuance. You've seen it in swap spreads. You've seen it in a cross-currency basis. And you've seen it in um, Canada-U.S., which I know we didn't plan on talking about it. But if you look at things like uh, 30-year rate absolute, we're back up near 60, which is pretty much the all-time high. And I think that's a trade that you need to have on your radar. Uh, if you have a horizon uh, of uh, six months to a year, I think you've got to look at uh, Canada versus U.S. in the 30s, uh, receiving Canada, paying U.S. Um, I'm with you there. So, I mean, this is good, good, good segue to the to, to your, your favorite trade ideas, but I'll first uh, talk a little bit about Canada, U.S., just because I'm, I'm a strong believer there now, especially, I mean, pr- pretty much anywhere on the curve, I agree with you in, in longs. In, in the long end, uh, the swap curve spreads are, are definitely uh, making that juicier on the swap side than the cash side. Uh, but even even shorter, and, and it looked like out to five years, even even ten years, if, if you consider where terminal is being priced for the U.S. right now, and kind of the one seventy one seventy five range uh, versus Canada in the low twos, like the U.S. the Fed's terminal rate will not be below the Bank of Canada's. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me uh, for for oh so many reasons. Uh, they, they've ended higher than us in pretty much any recent cycle, put it that way. The growth is, growth potential is higher in the U.S. They rebounded faster than we did. They have higher inflation than we do, uh, so on and so forth. I mean, the, the one thing Canada has is maybe population growth. Uh, that That is maybe one benefit that uh, pushes Canadian growth higher than the U.S. Uh, but in general, it just doesn't seem like there's, there's a good rationale for uh, U.S. rates to, to end below Canada's whenever they get to the peak of uh, – of the hiking cycle. So anywhere kind of five years and out should be pretty attractive, even shorter than that. I'd, I'd argue uh, you could see Canada outperform uh, there as well, especially given where, where swap spreads are there too. So uh, I want to, well, I will leave my Canada, the US spiel there. Joel, Joel, what, what are your favorite trade ideas? Uh, if it's, if it's Canada, US 30 year, that that's fine. Uh, let us know. Well, I mean, I got a couple of ideas. I mean, I don't know if a ton, ton, but I think Canada, U.S., I mean, the the, the risk is um, pricing explosion um, in terms of if, if the issuance machine cranks up. I mean, we know of a couple of telcos that need to pay for some spectrum and some takeovers. And, you know, if they come in, you know, it, it, it could get ugly. So I think you want to uh, scale in your stuff here. So uh, honestly, I would think, you know, I would start at 60 in between 60 and, and 80. Not that I think it gets to 80, but it's the Canadian market and you never know uh, what could happen. Uh, you know, I, I would say between 60 and 80, you know, every five beeps, you, you scale into that trade. And, 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 you know, if you're trading 30s, you shouldn't care about the next three weeks. You should be looking at the next six months to a year. So that trade I do like. I think uh, I think that that, that one year, one year, Versus like three or one year stuff, that inversion is insane. It's, it's not even one year, one year. It's more like one year, six months, I think, that it seems out of whack. Um, I just think it's way too early to be pricing policy mistakes. And also, we just don't price them that far out. We, we are not that bright. If, if something starts to break, the curve will steepen so fast, it'll be 30 to 50 basis points in, in two weeks. And uh, the place to be receiving is not four year, one year. It's just not. It, it, it's maybe two year, one year at the at the furthest out. Um, so I I look. Uh, I think that's the trade. So I think on dips, you know, you want to be receiving, meeting gaps out to Jan twenty twenty three, and on rallies, you know, you want to be paying five year, one year 
uh, or four, sorry, four year, one year and three year, one year for just selling five year bonds, five year Canada bonds. I mean, by, by doing that, you're taking advantage of super high swap spreads uh, in Canada. Um, otherwise, you know, in the front end of, you know, I, I kind of agree with you, the a terminal rate. I just think, you know, beds just aren't that interesting to me here. They were, they were interesting at 120 at 50. They're not. Uh, and then, like, there's local kind of board stuff, like in the backs. There's, there's, you know, uh, somebody wants their June three backs. They seem to buy them only when they're going up. Uh, as I wrote in my piece this morning, that's the equivalent of paying thirty percent premium on StockX for your Jordans when they're tra- when you can buy them at Nordstrom Rack for forty off on the average day. But if you look at the box butterflies, uh, that one's trading at one, and the rest of them are trading at four. So that's kind of a localized trade. You got to kind of be a box geek to care about that. But other than that, I think we're in a bear market for bonds. And I think if you want to own a ten-year bond with a one handle, then I think something's wrong with you. And I think ultimately, ten-year bonds in Canada will get at least a two and a quarter, maybe even two and a half. I don't think they're worth even three percent. But I recognize until the banks start selling or people start realizing that you know negative real rates in 10 years don't make any sense, we probably won't get there. But I do think we're marching towards higher highs in yield over time. And that means, you know, you have to fade rallies. And I, I'm not talking about the flat or the steepener or whatever, you know, that's, that's not my way. I think the cleanest way to be positioned is just sell tens when they rally. Still a bear then. For the last hundred basis points from the first time you had me on here, Ben. You got it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think rates higher. Uh, curve-wise, I, I'd still lean flatter. I think you just kind of higher right across the curve. Uh, we're, we're not we're not done yet. All right, Joel. Uh, I think that's a wrap. Thanks for coming on again. Thanks, Brad. Uh, sure, I'll have you on again soon. Uh, you know where to find me. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. 
BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.